0: The scripture lesson from this service is taken from Paul's letter to the Galatians, um, chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. The Apostle Paul, uh, following the life and death of Christ, founded churches um, throughout Asia Minor, one of which was Galatia, a church at Galatia. As he did with many of his churches, he founded the church and then left and went to another city uh, to found another church. Many of those churches then uh, develop divisions and that has happened in the church at Galatia. And Paul is writing the church um, in a letter that is somewhat critical because they have begun to follow more spiritually charismatic leaders than Paul and he is trying to bring them back to the faith. The sermon will be based on one phrase that is in this reading at verse 19 until Christ is formed in you. So hear now the word of God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that were by nature not God's. Now, however, that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and beggarly elemental spirits? How can you want to be enslaved to them again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. Friends, I beg you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. You know that it was because of a physical infirmity that I first announced the gospel to you. Though my condition put you to the test, you did not scorn or despise me, but welcomed me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of the goodwill that you felt? For I testify that had it been possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to exclude you so that you may make much of them. It is good to be made much of for a good purpose at all times. And not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth, Until Christ is formed in you, I wish I were present with you now and could change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. I was glad when they said to me, let us go. Unto the house of the Lord. Dearest God, we are glad to be in this house. And we ask that you will use every word of this sermon, every prayer and song we lift to you, every offering we make, and every action we take in your name to your glory and to the edification of your people. In the name of Christ, amen. I believe I've shared with you before that the first time I preached in our sanctuary in 2004, I experienced something that I had not often enough experienced in the Presbyterian Church. When I walked into the chancel, which was further back and higher, and the door was over there, I noticed that people were sitting up front. <laughs> you smiled and greeted one another. There was a good assortment of children present. Not quite as many as we have today, but still a good number. I was not among the youngest people in the sanctuary. And the congregation exuded energy and excitement. And as the service progressed, I noticed That you listened. When I accepted the position following the congregational meeting that day, when I accepted the position to become your pastor, I felt like it was what we clergy call in the business a good call. But it has exceeded my expectations. Within a few weeks of beginning as your minister, I told a colleague in another part of the country. I didn't know they made churches like this anymore. Earlier this week, I visited Connie Ring when he was in Alexandria Hospital for a brief stay. He and his wife Jane are among those whose names we will read in a few minutes, recognizing 50 years or more of membership at Westminster. Before I said a prayer with Connie, I said to him, I hope you'll be able, I hope you'll be out of the hospital and be able to attend the anniversary service Sunday because the two of you embody much of what makes Westminster what it is. Connie said, when we moved to Park Fairfax as a young couple in the 1950s, neither of us were Presbyterian. We visited ten churches in the area. Westminster was the 11th. And when we walked out, we said, this is the one. Whatever it is, he said, that makes Westminster special was here when we came here. There is something special about this congregation. And I believe that it has been here since its beginnings. I didn't know they made churches like this anymore. From his prison cell in Nazi Germany, several months before his execution, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote to his student and confidant, Eberhard Bedke about a preaching engagement for which Bedke was preparing. One has to live for some time in a community, said Bonhoeffer, to understand how Christ is formed in it. Bonhoeffer referenced Galatians 4.19, the phrase in the long passage that we read earlier today. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is criticizing, is upbraiding the church that he has founded in Galatia for allowing more charismatic but less substantive leaders to hold sway over them after Paul has left. With utter affection and with utter anger, Paul concludes his criticism of this church that he has founded. My little children, he says, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish that I were present with you now. And that I could change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. What both Paul and Bonhoeffer acknowledge, Paul in pain and Bonhoeffer in hope, is that in every religious community that bears the name of Jesus Christ, there is a particular way that Christ is formed in that community a particular, perhaps even a unique way in which Christ takes shape, lives, breathes, is welcomed, is experienced, is worshipped, is understood, is lived out, and is passed on. One has to live for some time in a community to understand how Christ is formed in it. Bonhoeffer said... As we celebrate our 75th anniversary today, I want to point to three ways that I have come to believe that Christ is formed at Westminster Presbyterian Church. I want to do this by sharing one voice that is from the past, one voice that is from the present, and then to add my own brief comments. The voice from the past is that of President Harry S. Truman, who was invited by a member of our church who served on his staff to dedicate the sanctuary on the Sunday before Thanksgiving in 1952. President Truman spoke a few months before he turned the Oval Office over to General Dwight D. Eisenhower. From a platform near the steps, Out on the lawn in front of this sanctuary, the president said, Our churches must keep pace not only with the changes in the physical growth of our nation, but also with our changing social problems. Our churches must not become a place to hide from the facts of the world about us, nor a mere badge of social responsibility. Too often, he said, our churches have been blind to their most important function, which is to bring about the application of religious principles in our daily lives and in our work. We must all wage a ceaseless war against injustice in our society. The churches in particular are a force which should fight for brotherhood, for decency, for better lives for all our people. Speaking at the height of the Cold War, the president continued, The teachings of the Christian faith recognize the worth of every human being before Almighty God. They are a sure defense against the godlessness and brutality of ideologies which deny the value of the individual. It is an evidence of our faith that by following the path of justice and righteousness, we can turn back the dark forces that seek to plunge the earth into savagery. And finally, the president said, In the teachings of the Savior, there is no room for bigotry, for discrimination, for the embittered struggle of class against class, or for the hostilities of nation against nation. St. Paul said, here, there cannot be Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. But Christ is all and in all. What I hear in President Truman's comments is a call for the faith to relate, for the faith we inherit to relate to the world in which we live, the world that includes our nation's government, its domestic policies, its international affairs, its responsibilities for peace, security, and justice among all the nations of the world. I believe that our practice at Westminster, particularly in our preaching and teaching, of cultivating voices... From both sides of the proverbial aisle and from various viewpoints and experiences, theologically, politically, and ethically, helps us rise to the president's call, quote, not to hide from the facts of the world about us, but to bring about the application of religious principles in our daily living, and in our work. I believe that one way Christ is formed in us at Westminster is our commitment to recognize the worth of every human soul before Almighty God and to keep pace with our changing social problems. Now the second voice to which I want to turn, is that of Tim Shaw, who is one of our members today. In a recent Facebook posting, Tim reflected on the one-year anniversary in which his already disabled daughter, Helena, had a seizure in a pool in which she was engaged in therapeutic swimming. She went into cardiac arrest in the emergency room and sent the family on a further journey of rearing and caring for her in an even more intense way than they had for 13 years. One year later, a week or so ago, Helena has recovered to the point that she is an active member of our current confirmation class. In his Facebook posting, Tim speaks first about what he and his family have experienced over the last year of human community. Key friendships, participation in certain organizations, the right neighborhood, a great employer, a fantastic school, new friends, even a good friend who died a few years ago. And then Tims talks about the spiritual community that he has experienced and they have experienced here at Westminster. You know what has been a great part of our community, he says, our church. This is something we picked up from our friends passing away. A good church is a ready-made support community. Ours stood ready to provide any level of services we needed but met us exactly where we were, mentally and spiritually. Lisa and I had both drifted from the religious traditions in which we were raised, he said, and neither of us is to this day anywhere near fully bought to the creeds of our current tradition. We have found that that doesn't matter in terms of our ability to participate in the community, As well as to experience some measure of spiritual well-being. We attend, we consider, we support, and we participate as we feel comfortable. And the welcome has been complete. He continues, I believe there are many places like this in many traditions Being involved in a religious community didn't keep a bad thing from happening to us, and it doesn't by itself make us better people. The community has been huge, though, and it didn't cost us any spiritual compromises. I think that when I walked into Westminster the first time, And saw people expectant and excited and sitting near the front. What I witnessed was community. I think when Connie and Jane Ring came to Westminster for the first time in 1956, like so many of you in the decades since, what they and you experience is community. It is here, it can be yours. Not everybody experiences it in much the same way or as fully as it can be experienced. Not everybody has found their place in it, even after significant efforts at trying. But whether you are here for a year or a decade or a lifetime, there is a place for you in this community. It is a major way that Christ is formed in us. Third, in Tim's posting, he also speaks of faith. I have long believed and felt a connection with a ha- higher power that I call God, he writes. Not necessarily the God of Abraham or other specified deity, but some highest of all powers and spiritual center. That's not very fashionable in this day and age, but so be it. As you might guess, he says, Helena's accident challenged this relationship severely. Let's just say my prayer's were not well answered. But even in my anger that the accident occurred and had such large ramifications, I still have clearly found it was better to have my God in my life than not. It helped me keep perspective, and it helped me feel a source of strength. It also, as noted here, made me think that there might be something good to come out of this whole business, even though I hate the trope, God has a plan. Tim concludes, I get that the whole event can be explained as chance. I get that what I describe can be explained as a psychological construct. To me, so what? The belief helps. And I see no downside risk if I am wrong about the metaphysical end game. Likewise, over 50 years ago, President Truman said, the only hope of mankind for enduring peace lies in the realm of the spiritual. Religious faith is the strength of our nation, and it is the hope of mankind. What I appreciate about Tim's and the President's statements is that they have a broad, open, welcoming understanding of Christian faith and belief. They are not fighting over doctrines or creeds or polity, Or even differences between Christians and Muslims and Jews, between Catholics and Protestants, between believers and non-believers. They articulate an open spirit into which people can move as they explore what Tim describes as the metaphysical end game. My friends, one of the ways in which I believe Christ is formed in us as a congregation is that within these walls, within our membership, within our visitors, within our children, within all of the people who come here and call us home, we have people of well-developed religious views and commitments. We have people who are deeply committed to living out their faith in a particular way in the world. We have people who have rich and disciplined prayer lives. We have people for whom the way we express the Christian faith through our preaching and our teaching and our singing and our service allows them to explore and to find their way into what might be the only church they would ever consider joining. And we have people who dab their toes in the waters of faith, some of whom almost immediately reach for a towel to dry off, but some of whom then let their legs dangle and then step in and then start to wade and then pretty soon take that dive under the waters and start swimming. And swim and swim and swim. As Tim said of Westminster, they met us exactly where we were mentally and spiritually. I am told that the average life of a suburban congregation in America is 75 years. We have beaten that by two months and 13 days. But we're going strong. And if we will continue to allow Jesus Christ to be formed among us, We'll make it a few more decades. Amen.